good evening, good evening, good evening. It's time for another KG, Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Colleagues, how are you? Doing okay today. Doing okay. Today was a good day. Or should I say, como estas? Doc. Hey, I just, I'm learning. I'm learning by listening to y'all and watching TV. And that's how I'm going to learn. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Better than you. Uh, get right into I, it. Get right into it, Doc. What I really like to talk about is um, let's get into some Major League Baseball. We've had some fun with a lot of sports. We're in the mix of baseball season. Just passing All-Star. Derek Jeter going out in style. Uh, but, you know, as the sport professor, looking at some of the issues out here, I'm always fascinated when we get into some of these legal battles because a lot of times what they do is they give us the opportunity to go inside the numbers, which most of these franchises uh, really don't want to share you because they want to keep it a secret to, for the most part, just how well they're doing. And, and people get excited. Well, so there's part of the fan crowds and fanatics, if you would say it, to follow their home team and nothing wrong with that. Uh, but a lot of times because of that, we don't necessarily get into the numbers. So what's big out there right now is this debate, uh, between the Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles. If you recall, before there was a Washington Nationals, they, they wore the Montreal Expos. Yep. Played it year, if you would, outside of the country, Puerto Rico and down there in that area, splitting some time before everything came around and they landed the team in the Washington Nationals. At that time, everybody's excited. Baseball's back in the capital. But there was one franchise that, if you recall, wasn't happy. Wasn't happy. And that you, was the Baltimore you, Orioles. But in my territory. And exactly. That was the major issue is they felt, um, as we talk about all the time, this is a money in business. And they felt there was some issues financially at stake if they allowed Washington Nationals to come at. And what's really the part of the debate is MASN. As many of us know, these regional networks are big. Uh, they've been able to allow franchises to cash in. You're dealing with that issue. Right here in Houston in our backyard, between the Rockets, mainly between the Astros and the local uh, broadcast station in terms of, uh, of trying to get a deal with Comcast and how you make that work in a sense, these sports. Mm-hmm. And then you have the issue that's pretty big out there with the Dodgers and their oh. local market in terms of trying to find out television rights. Well, as this exploded, the major deal between Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles is the fact when they finally settled and decided that they were going to okay this deal and send it to Washington was the fact that the Orioles essentially, uh, from what we can tell, 10 years, and this is kind of where it gets some arguability in terms of what's going on, was basically going to get a larger component of the right fees for Nationals. Um, There was some Escalating clause, if you would, directly what we're seeing here, according to this report from the Washington Post, is the fact that National started with a 5% ownership stake in MASN. It was to grow to 15%, and at that point would it would increase by 1% every year uh, for the Nationals up to a top limit of 30%. And, but every five years is where it really gets interesting. There was a reset clause within this contract that allowed them to receive right fees commensurate with the formula uh, in the contract based on that reset clause. 
And so the Orioles see the reset clause in one framework, and essentially the Nationals see that reset clause in another framework, and when that happens, you go to the court. So Bud Selig is in the middle of this. Obviously, he would like to see this handled behind closed doors, not hit the public media. My understanding is you alluded to um, at one point as we were talking about this issue, Chris, before we went live, if you would, is the fact that um, there was a letter sent yes. by Bob Seelig. Um, go ahead and share that, and I'll finish off. All right, yes. Let me see if I can pull this up. Thanks to uh, our colleagues, Wildcat, uh, David Barron of Chronicle, and John Royal of the Houston Press. This brought this to my attention via Twitter. It's reported in the uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, dot com on Wednesday. And let me see if I can find the, some of the details of what Commissioner Selig requested of the owners mm-hmm. for the Nationals and um, the Orioles. And it's really it's funny to you know it's, it's not funny. From but, outside looking but, in, in terms of millionaires arguing over it, I can see where yeah, it right. can become somewhat comical. It's obviously serious. It's like when we say funny, we're talking about comical. It's, it's like us arguing over a dollar, a ten dollar bill, a five dollar bill. Both yeah. the Orioles, quote, both the Orioles and the Nationals have at various times made threats to institute litigation in connection with this dispute, despite my office's extended good faith efforts to have this matter resolved by agreement. On a personal note, I owned the club for decades, that means the Milwaukee Brewers, and I can honestly say that under no circumstances would I have threatened, let alone commenced, litigation against baseball. Please be advised that nothing in the agreement authorizes the parties to file any lawsuit. I want there to be no doubt if any party initiates any lawsuit or fails to act in strict compliance with the procedures set forth in the agreement, Concerning the Revenue Sharing Definitions Committee of Major League Baseball's decision, I will not hesitate to impose the strongest sanctions available to me under the Major League Constitution. Uh-oh. You sound like I've seen over the Oh, yeah. Commissioners <laughs> are getting with these new age owners. <laughs> and then, real quick, the same day Felix sent his letter, Pamela Marple, an attorney representing the Orioles, wrote a letter to the Nationals that slammed Major League Baseball's arbitration panel's, quote, lack of procedural fairness, end quote, noted that the ruling does not end this matter, argued that it wasn't binding on the Orioles, and stated, quote, please also be reminded that your client's privilege, meaning the Nationals, to have its game telecast throughout the Orioles' television territory arises solely and exclusively under the settlement agreement and related partnership agreements. Your client has no right to access Orioles television territory for the telecast of its games independent of those agreements. Wow. Now. So it's in the courts. Bam. And basically what they're going to do is decide on where the boundaries are as far as what the uh, the If the they market. move forward with the litigation, yeah. that's what the um, Judges within this litigation would ultimately decide that would be fought by the lawyers, but obviously they don't want to get the far. But to backtrack off that and give you some numbers that are out there, uh, 
By fall 2010, the first reset period of television rights fees for professional sports teams had exploded. And that's why I've always said that when you look at expansion uh, at any level, it's less about what you bring to the table in terms of your area in regards to fan base directly. You know, that's a component because you want to be able to sell merchandise, but usually you sell merchandise nationally now, you know, to some degree internationally. So it's more about your television availability and number of households and how can you create a television market. So it exploded. The Nationals Orioles entered into a bitter dispute over how much MSN owed the Nationals. As of 2012, the Orioles proposing uh, giving the Nationals $34 million. Again, that's $34 million in right fees from MSN. And the Nationals asked between $100 and $120 million to let you know how large the difference is between what these two franchises are arguing about. And that's serious type of revenue associated with it. So this is going to be interesting to follow. If you're into this kind of thing, this is similar to the negotiations back in the day with uh, Sterling when he, at San Diego with NBA. Obviously, the money was that big. And then you had the other one between Oakland Raiders in regard to Al Davis. Uh, which could lead us into another segment in terms of uh, the Raiders coming to San Antonio. I'll let y'all touch upon that after we uh, look a little further into this, I would surmise. But that's pretty much what I had to bring to the table and just wanted to put something out to the listeners. Again, you know, I, I'm very fascinated when we start talking about these dollars and cents, if you would, in terms of regular figures to continue to let people know uh, that this game, when we look at sports, is about huge, significant dollars. Or would you let $1.5 stop you from playing a game that you supposedly love? If I'm a businessman, I think people forget that the owners now are not necessarily fans as they were more so in the back. Now these are businessmen that are going into the business of sports. And I don't think people understand it's not the fact that they're just generating revenue, but this in terms of going into sports is a safe haven in terms of your money in a very safe place where every indicator suggests that the revenue associated is going up. There hasn't been any decline. So not only is it a safe place to put your money, but it's also a good place to really invest your money in terms of a family asset and so i think you have a lot more business people going into sports ownership versus people doing it uh for fun and people that really love the games that they're investing in as ownership so from that standpoint if you're asking me from that scenario if i'm actually a person that can now purchase a team i'm doing it not because i'm worried about losing 1.5 million dollars I'm looking at for a business, so yes, I would answer, I would have a problem with losing $1.5 million. And what say you, sir? Who are you referring to? I'm referring to a uh, Astro who reported, well, it's been in the news now for a couple of, couple of weeks now, but the Astros were not able to sign that number one overall uh, pitcher, Brady Aiken, 17-year-old left-hander, who had been throwing 
smoked. 97 miles. His last uh, pitch in high school was uh, clocked at uh, 97 miles an hour, arms just flinging away. And he finds out about the big leagues very quickly. It ruined it. And the worst part about it was he finds out, he finds out about the league from the process of family, himself, connection. They all get on the plane, come to Houston, and then boom. But they had a deal, right? Six million dollars. Well, when they left the house, when they left the house. Go to the airport. That's terrible. Get on the that. plane. That's that's terrible about the ass though. I'm not and then, sure how you can let that get in the, in the, the process plane. of flying time. Yeah. Got a question. Kid says, "Okay, you know, it's still folks and I was asking like, why you know why need to? And then you kind of like throw your hands up and says, we 'We're looking at what's on the table. Why not?' And as many folks do, mm-hmm. they find a way to say. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Because that question was the but, elbow, and supposedly when they went and did the medical evaluation, right. he had a muscle ligament, if you would, that was a di- so not differential size. size. Didn't it, say it, they would preclude that and that you would get an injury. They were small, and it, there may be some, maybe some down the road now that might find a way to that's too much get into a situation medically. We don't know, but it's been picked up, and we so got a question about it. a franchise that had, this has happened, not I necessarily know. under its leadership before, recently, uh, that has been losing lately. I cannot see how you can afford to make this error. But you had, from everything that was put in the paper and was printed out, the reported by all the local guys here, MLB News, uh, beat writers, uh, uh, Brian Mataggart and uh, and, and uh, Richard Justice, right. who, who formerly are the, are the Chronicle. All the work that all they had done, both of them, yes, both. All the work they had done, and they, and trust me, they, baseball is that yet, is, is, is that yeah, deal. Yeah. That's why they're working for MLB.com. When they got every piece of information that they needed, made all their contacts, get here, do the x ray, MRI, whatever, and boom, everything's off the table. And not only does that kid not get his deal, the folks that fall in the line behind him don't get there. Especially with the pat the, the uh with uh the guy seat. having the same name. Same age. yeah. Uh Jacob Nix and Mac uh Mac Marshall, who were the team's fifth round pick and the team's twenty one twenty uh, first round pick, respectively. Wow. Three guys that you were look that you were looking at in the minors to be put in a, in a fast track. Now you don't get in. A, you, you, neither one of those guys that. And to the credit of the Astros, they tried to explain the way and said they made a fair offer, and things came up. Went from. But then you find out a week later, or in the midst. Yep. That they have now are going to actually be in an investigation. Uh, the Major League Baseball Association, if it would, to see if they acted inappropriately. And if they are found guilty on that, then they would lose next round, first round pick, plus the supplemental that they were going to get for not being able to sign the guy this year. And next year's pick for the Astros that's put, that was, that's been reported in print, uh, and online is a number two pick in the 2015 draft. That's a lot to lose. 
That's three guys plus four guaranteed that you're gonna get that you getting a, getting a shot at, and now you get nothing. How long does that set you back? Oh, uh, five years. Huh? With a pitcher. No one. I'm not getting all those picks. Without all those picks, yeah, at, at least, at least that. Because now you gotta you gotta figure out a way that somebody will miss somebody, and you gotta hope. There's a lot of praying and hope now that somebody gets missed. So I can and go back to being a Dodgers fan. Oh yeah, yeah, you can do that. That is. Hey, you sell P. But you can't watch the Dodgers on TV. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We can't watch anything here. Exactly. I mean, we talk about everything. Thank you. Basketball, and, football, and, and, and in California, pop by bubble. Hey, they're tr- the uh, politicians are trying to get involved and get the FCC involved in the dispute in I Los think Angeles. None of that is going to so sway anybody's movement with these TV folks because they basically have said, "Why yet? Why else you going to go and watch?" Well, I think that when they don't, they're going to get a little nervous when you get politicians involved because politicians have the ability to set guidelines and the last thing a corporate organization wants governing bodies putting in guidelines the same way the NCA is real nervous as they start oh. to hear that the politicians and the meeting they had oh. that's the last thing any organization any corporate entity wants to hear because once it goes to governing bodies in terms of politicians if it would is they basically can have the ability to set the guidelines of the law. And once they set it, it's really difficult to change it. So if you can figure it out on your own, you'd rather do that because you never know what they're going to do. They might side for you, you're good. If they don't, your world is turned upside down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And staying in court uh, yesterday, David Barron talked about uh, the Rockets and the Astros announced, quote, well, they are, quote, now very close to reaching agreement on the terms and definitive documentation of a proposed transaction that will completely restructure and reorganize the network, which is basically the Houston Regional Sports Network on, what is it, Comcast? Whatever it is, I don't have. So I've been able to watch the Rockets in two seasons, and that's how I go yeah, in person. Yeah, they're not doing you a favor, you don't have to bang so that that good point there. I shouldn't have said that. It, you know. So anyhow, but uh, and David Barron tweeted uh, er, earlier. Actually, on Tuesday, today's Wednesday. Uh, days are mixed up. That uh, the Astros and the Rockets have to give that network the name of the bidder Thursday. That does not mean the name has to be made public, okay. but they have to give that network. Let them know who the bidder is. They have feel close to reaching an agreement to form this new, this knight in shining armor to say, save the day and potentially end this mockery that uh, that network, Rockets, Astros, and investors have been involved with to keep the teams uh, off TV for the majority of the city of Houston. Yeah, and we're, we're referring to Comcast. Yeah. Just of course. No, no, no. But hopefully that'll get resolved soon enough in time for the Rocket season starting in the fall. You know, you guys are baseball folks. I really don't care about the Astros. I haven't cared since I was 10. So, yeah, but you're Rockets. But uh, got to have the Rockets on, especially for the road games, you know, since I can cover them face-to-face in Houston, fortunately. But, yes, that's legal. We're going to stay in court a little bit longer here. Uh, Monday. The judge 
ruled against Donald Sterling's attempt to block the Clippers, as Doc points to Wildcat as in a I told you so manner. Hey, the I'm man, glad, but, I'm glad but, we're not on. But, but TV. you know what, though? You know what? I still hold to that. I know what you hold to. Because the man, the man, he just said, just you say know it. What, I'm going to fight it until I die. Just you know, say he it. He's still going to so, fight. He, he still, but as I told you what he first said, I said he had nothing to fight. All he did was show again how arrogant he was in terms of dragging his wife or in terms of this matter and more importantly to a lesser degree obviously because you know they're split if you would uh, but the fact that he dragged the rest of his family they may be split but they've I think had a 60th anniversary Monday or sometime this week right so, and when <laughs> I, I guess the term I really want to say is estranged estranged yeah. estranged wife because they still have a relatively cordial relationship at least until they're in the court when he starts to call her a pig. Yeah. You know, and she, she refrains from that. She's always spoken highly of him. You can tell that she off, uh, you know, so, yeah. loves him. She may not be in love with him because of all the negative things he does, but you can tell she respects him uh, and their relationship. So she really has a healthy uh, support. And I think she really believes that he's sick. When I say sick, I'm talking about the issues that she mental, discovered mentally, yes. in terms of mental illness. So she understands oftentimes things that he says is not necessarily how he feels, but it's more about you know his disposition mm-hmm. in terms of mentally. Again, which why I dealt with you and was not really excited about him fighting this. Because I really put a lot of this on the lawyer, uh, which particularly the one that took his case, I think in a lot of ways it's shame on them. Because I think they manipulated him, understanding where he was mentally, and the fact that they could get him uh, because they knew how impressionable he was in terms of how much of a man, I'll use that in terms of this terminology, to get him to push forward and fight in this case when they knew that it was very unlikely, almost highly improbable, that there was ways he was going to win this case. But I'm sure they're going to put the billable hours in front of him to pay. And they didn't take this pro bono. So I, I shame on them in a lot of ways. I understand that everybody has the right to generate their money, make their money. But I think there's something a little outlandish about taking that thing. And let me just add a couple things. And the judge Michael Levanis ruled against Sterling allowing the sale of the team to former uh, well, Steve Ballmer to go through for $2 billion. I know Ballmer was like, yes. The NBA's happy. Well, like, the yes. NBA was like, NBA, yeah. Adam Silver's happy. Now. The players are happy, and I'll get to that in just a second. But the judge also included an order which basically makes the ruling, quote, essentially appeal proof. So, as we've stated, numerous folks have stated weeks ago, and we follow via Twitter, and reading on the internet that all is left now is Donald basically going to be suing himself for any any money that he that he hopes to get because the NBA, as Shelly Shelly Sterling did, has in, indemnified the NBA on behalf of the trust. A so, new lawyer word that we so Donald is suing himself. Hey, last month or so. So that's two billion dollars. And let's talk about now. We're getting 
we're starting to get away from the court slowly. Still going to get into court a little right. bit here. One court. One court. But we're going to touch on a few other things as the three of us have mentioned in previous, in recent podcasts about uh, a few other court things down the road. But as we said, $2 billion for the LA Clippers. That's not the Lakers. So $2 billion for the Clippers, $500 million for the Milwaukee Bucks. So NBA players can say, how can, how, can you, how can you owners tell me y'all losing money when it's, when it's time for the next collective bargaining agreement? So trust and believe the players will be are paying attention to all of those issues. This, these right, because since that you have the sale of the New Orleans, now Pelicans, uh, that was a $400 million, half a million dollars. It was a sweetheart deal, but it was still way above what people expected it to be. Yeah. Milwaukee Bucks. Around the same amount. Half, yeah, around the half same a billion. Month, half a billion. And then obviously if you skew uh, the Clippers being at $2 billion, but still you've seen it with uh, a lot of to be at least $1.2 billion, upwards to $1.6 billion. So even if you take that to a million dollars, you're seeing that the franchises that everybody was caught crying broke for in terms of the ownership obviously was not the case. So now that is out of the bottle, as they say. And uh, uh, somebody mentioned on air today about the advertising dollars uh, with the teams used to for signage and all the advertising inside the building that no, uh, uh, that the Clippers were still the, second, the stepchild in the Staple Arena. The Lakers still, even the team being as bad as it is, they are still a team that's getting the most bucks. For the, the Lakers brand, brand by itself is worse than run. The Clippers. I don't even know if you can say the Clippers have a brand in comparison to the Lakers. No, because they just started the one. Prestige, they just, they just started a brand. They just, with, this, with the group well, that they got now. Take you out of the room. Okay. This is. Speaking as a professor, okay. everybody has a brand, so by definition, True. they have a brand. Yes. But the point that you're making is their brand is nowhere mm-hmm. clear, close to the brand associated with the Lakers. So with that framework, I agree. And with the, talking about the NBA, keep this in mind, as I've said previously, um, the NBA TV deal will expire after the 2015-2016 season take into account the popularity of the league. There's going to be a bidding war among the networks. You have uh, TNT, the Turner side. People are expecting Fox to get in this this, bid, this bidding competition. NBC maybe tries to finagle in a game of the week, possibly. So the more bidders you have, more competition. Expecting a lot of money to be in the new TV deal. When you have television, mobile, uh, desktop access to watch the games, access to games now, all kinds of platforms, tablets, you know, iPads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And folks going to make a lot of money in that TV deal. Because the players going to want a piece of that pie. Two years ago, you couldn't approach any professional NBA arena with a tablet or an oversized iPhone and go in and actually use it while the game was going. Right. Now, as of last season, open the doors up, turn them loose. 
all their arenas. Yeah, you are, can use are, it before you even get in there. That's just are, so are, that the Wi-Fi signals and new technologies improving the the interactivity for fans inside the building. So there's all kinds of additional revenue sources for the owners, NBA owners, and the players to uh, tap when the new TV deal is announced, which leads us to, after that, the 2016-2017 season, which, when it happens... We could be looking at four walls. There will be an ex- some type <laughs> we of... We could well, be looking at four walls. A work stoppage, depending on who, which side decides to open up the negotiations of the, of the collective bargaining agreement. Players, players won't strike, and then just just be a really a PR disaster if they strike. But the owners could lock them out. We talked about the new, the current CBA now went from 57 percent to 50 50 percent, 50 50 in the basketball related income. So, which is a horrible deal for the players. You go from 57 down to 50, and yet BRI that they they agreed to it. They 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 crumbled and cratered. They made a decision. So they wanted to get back yeah. on the court, and they accepted. They swallowed. They swallowed hard and took fifty percent. So Billy Hunter, whoever you want to say was in, was responsible for that deal, is out. Monday evening in Las Vegas, the Players Association, the players voted and named a new executive director of the National Basketball Players Association. And for the first time in of the four major sports in the United States, the executive director of a players' union is female. Her name is Michelle Roberts. And I also may add, she's a person of color, looks like us. She's an African American. I won't get into too many details of but, all of the but. things going on that happened. The voting that. Everything that led up to the vote, um, there were three people involved. Michelle Roberts was one of the three finalists, you say. Tardima Ushery was the second one to speak. Each of the three got 45 minutes to basically state why they believed they were the best person for the executive director of the job. Uh, there were certain factions, players, agents who did not want a vote to take, to take place. Monday evening, they wanted to table because they felt there was too short a time. Not enough information was known about these three candidates. Uh, President Chris Paul was in favor of Michelle Roberts being the new director. The executive direct directors agreed, and Michelle Roberts got, I believe, 90-some-odd percent of that support, and she is now the Executive Director of the Players Association. She's 58 years old. She uh, does not have a collective bargaining uh, background, but she is a sports fan. She's a basketball fan. She's an attorney, naturally. And she's a great uh, jurist for a prestigious law firm. And I think that may come into uh, her background is in negotiation. Let's just put it like that. I'm beating around the bush. So, so, so she's good at listening to people and uh, and changing their mediating. minds. Real mediation. She's good at she's good at making people change their minds. 
because that's what a mediator does. Yeah, but, I thought it was but, interesting but, when you look at. Uh, the prestigious law firm that you talked about with skating arts uh, in the uh, Washington, D.C., greater uh, Washington, D.C. area, is I thought uh, one thing that really stood strong with me is her relationship with uh, Harvard Law Professor Ogletree, uh, that Charles Ogletree mm-hmm. Jr. that many people may be familiar with. And while I was kind of excited to see First, to be honest, that a woman got an opportunity to be in such a position, and I, I would almost assuredly, if she got that type of even opportunity to interview, that she was highly qualified. That kind of goes without saying for you to even get any chance. Uh, and then, as you said, to see that she was African American uh, made me just as proud because obviously these are additional barriers uh, that are starting to come down. So anytime you see individuals take a step that places them in a position because they're well qualified and barriers come down, you know, that this means that the world is moving uh, even closer in a lot of ways to um, giving everybody an opportunity to show off their best talents in a way that is best used for governance and just moving the world forward. Uh, but it was fascinating, again, to really hear the connection with Charles Ogletree Jr., he talks about how much he respects her. Uh, he really trained her in a lot of ways. They are uh, colleagues. She, in a lot of ways, uh, was mentored under Ogletree. And so uh, some of the statements he made coming out of U.S. today was that uh, her background is in negotiation, as you talked about. Very good in terms of being able to change minds. And even more importantly, which I tried to tell my students and why I wanted to bring this out there, because some of them do listen to the podcast, and I thank you students for doing that, is that uh, she has the ability to listen, unlike a great deal of people in this world. Oftentimes, we like to hear ourselves talk, yep. to be frank, and if I'm not careful, sometimes I can be guilty of that. I practice what I preach, and I like to think that I'm a better listener than I am a talker or a lecturer. And it has really made her powerful in a lot of ways. I think it was what actually, in many cases, landed her this job outside of being skilled enough, obviously, and prepared to get it. And in union negotiations, the ability to listen, I think, is important. Obviously, you want to be able to talk and be skilled to get your point across. But do that half the time is about being able to Counterpunch, if you will. Exactly. Uh, take point, counterpoint. And part of being able to do, actually be able to negotiate in that manner is to be a good listener. Because you need to really understand quickly, in a lot of ways, what the person across the table to you is saying and what they are bringing to the table. And does it really match what you want? Because oftentimes, if you're not having the ability to listen, they might get you to the point where you want to be, but you're so headstrong in terms of thinking they're not and negotiating that you may let things fly by yeah. Yeah, that, that you can't catch. And so I wanted to make sure that that was said on the podcast. Which explains why the players are where they are with their money problem. Everybody had wanted their point done across, and then when the numbers got to where certain folk wanted them at, Boom, we got a deal. Instead of making it for the better interest of the whole group down the road. 
and, and let me this is let me say this. <clears throat> I said ninety five percent. Ted officially thirty two out of thirty six uh votes. Yeah, she received a possible thirty two out of a possible thirty six votes among the player reps and the executive committee. So that's like eighty nine percent. Three of them wasn't even there. So you know, yeah. So But it is, in a quote here from Chris Paul, president of the union, uh, it shows how open-minded our players are. With any of the candidates, it wasn't about race or gender. It was about who was going to be the best person in that position. They want in interviews, Michelle tackled every question head first. There were tough questions she faced. She was faced with. She didn't back away from any of them. She didn't shy away from them. She told us her story and really sat well with us. And I'm gonna go ahead and say this. <laughs> reading, reading this, because I, I, I'm talking about the positive side of it. Let me give the negative side of it. Just fair balance here. Sure. Um, Jerry Stackhouse, player, been in the league for Greece, 20 years. Yeah, played at Carolina, North Carolina. Tar Heel, through and through. Uh, he called the the process a joke. Quote, I've been quiet through the whole thing, but when I see this right here, they knew who they wanted to come here. They brought in the woman. They brought in two candidates to, to All-Star as an All-Star weekend. And everybody said the process was flawed. And they just did this to save face. They brought back one of the candidates. What happened to the other one? The other finalists presented to the play reps in, in All-Star in New Orleans, uh, David White of the Screen Actors Guild, withdrew from consideration after the union restarted the search under the leadership of Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson. But last week, Kevin Johnson removed himself from the process, I think Friday, so days, days before the vote. So, and Stackhouse says, when you're telling everybody that Kevin Johnson is leading the process, and then all of a sudden he drops out of the process in the final hour, it reeks, end quote. So my question to him is, why you didn't open up your mouth beforehand? I agree. Because if you're in a room and all, and everybody's supposed to be having a vote, they're supposed to have a voice. And, and not only that, you're supposed to be a part of the executive committee, a rep. You're supposed to open up your mouth. And I think a lot of the well, issues. He he was. Let me say that. He stepped down. He was elected to the executive committee last year, and he stepped down. Why? That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. See, that goes back to the point that we have all I the time about, about if you got something to say, say it. When it's your time to vote, vote. If you don't have a, a point to say and you don't want to vote, you got no issue right. with nothing. Plus, let it be on record. There you go. Not record in terms of after paper the fact. and after the fact. Let it be rec on record in terms of your vote, even if it's a no vote contest. Duly noted. Duly noted. Or abstain. I think the other issue is telling is the statement he made. The woman. The woman. Like I said. And as a person that tries his best to be gender biased, and I have a, I'm a man, so I have it in me. I do it on time. All of us and do. not even think about it. Yeah, all of us do. Contradict. No, no, I'll admit it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I appreciate. We, we, we all I admit that. We sure. all go to that. Go man to that point. Enough to admit it, and I, I'm man enough to say it. We all go to that point, and we've done it. So I work at it. The only reason I say that because I know it's naturally there. 
I know we're in a patriarch world, particularly in the United States, uh, uh, really in the world, I should say. I can easily say that. Uh, and in some ways, misogynistic. And so when you hear a statement like that in regards to woman, it lets me know that part of this is also some issues you have with a woman leading the organization more than it is just the system because you really didn't lay out anything that made sense of that. Particularly, it wasn't until after the fact that you won that you decided to speak up that the system wasn't right. As you eloquently stated, prior to that, you just let things move forward. And I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to shift into football in a second. I have a quote, final quote from Stackhouse and then a final quote from Executive Director Roberts. Stackhouse. It's an who was, according to Ken Berger of CBSSports.com, Stackhouse was asked to leave the room before the vote. Quote, it's an endless pit. It's fertile ground. They've got the right person in place, someone who has no institutional knowledge of the union and how it works. It's going to be a joke. End quote. Michelle Roberts, they've got that union back. John, stop saying we, but she says, quote, They've got their union back, and I'm going to make sure that they are empowered to take their union exactly where they want their union to go. I'm a bad woman, but I'm not that bad. We're going to have a team, a very strong team, what I call a team of gladiators, that's going to help these men and women again go in the direction they choose to go. It's a new day. End quote. That's it all for me. All right. the strengths and weaknesses. She's going to surround herself with good people. Uh, and I think the point that she didn't say we, she said they, I think that's stronger than what people, if you really think about that in oh, yeah. context, yeah. that this is not yeah. mine. Yeah, exactly. this ain't about me. And a lot of times you get people in that position. It's about and me. And they make it about them. And nobody else but them. Exactly. And she says this is their union. I'm just the individual that is going to sit at the table. Show the leadership in terms of what they want done, and I'm going to articulate to the articulate that to the best of my ability. And I'm glad that uh, Chris Paul, an elite player in the league, is president. Because there was a time when the elite players yeah. wanted very little, if anything at all, yeah. to do with the union. Good point. It's always been the the guy that had uh, more time, more free time. Away from the team that ended up being the rep. And, and, and ones really, that didn't have a lot of endorsements off the court. Right. Associated there were far too many times in my 15 or so years of being around the NBA. There were star players. Or heck, the, the vote to, for the team rep, union rep. Really wasn't a vote. Wasn't a vote. It was like, hey, anybody want this? No. Rookie? No. no. You hit today. All right, you got it. It's yours. All right, and that's pretty much what it. That's pretty much what it was. You know, it's very few players took time to read about it, learn the process, then get involved, and then try to get the, his teammates involved in the entire process to know what they were voting on. That kind of ended with the Ewan. I didn't want to say all that. But yes, you are correct. Hey, yes, some folks didn't need to be in charge. Some folks. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I want. Oh yeah, I got oh, that. Yeah, that's it. I yeah. got. You. That was where the, it started shifting. That was the David. In this case, the David LeBron DePaul. was considering the position, so it wasn't just one individual that was a star that took this seriously and understood. But you had multiple stars that were positioning themselves. Yeah. 
LeBron's position. thought about it, and he, he he said that he didn't did not have enough time to devote as much time as he believes the president should have to it. And then also, I think when he signed but if Paul, but if he was selected, he would still accept and do it. But he was very happy that his buddy Chris Paul yeah. became. And I think that made it easier for him. To you know, the president. So yes, he was comfortable with yes the leadership. Okay, college football. The American had their announced their can't believe the preseason poll. You erased to finish in third place. Cincinnati was tabbed first. Why not? Wildcat, give me your take on that. I'm gonna find out from Coach this weekend when I talk to him Saturday. Because media day is Saturday. Yeah. On campus at U of H, Man appreciation day is Saturday evening. The first practice of the fall is uh, Saturday evening. And HBU starts on a week from today at. 3.30 or 3 or 4 o'clock, somewhere between 3 and 4 o'clock a week from today at their home stadium. Everything would be in place. To, I went by there today. Yesterday the weather was too bad, so they couldn't uh, uh, get started. But the uh, press box will, is in place, uh, and the uh, the stands are finished. They're in the process now of putting covers on and stabilizers. Everything will be in place now for, to get started. Uh, on September the 6th is our first game at home, and it'll be ready. HBU will be playing football on campus this season. They won't be playing elsewhere unless somebody, like, um, I think the game with uh, Stephen F. Austin, uh, Sam Houston, one of those two are coming into town this year, and they will definitely have to go down to town now because one of those teams travel. Travel. They travel well. Wildcat. You got it? Tell me. I'll get it. Okay. Tell me your thoughts on the Cincinnati Bearcats being tapped to finish first in the American. Because what's... Ahead of UCF. Now, I didn't go to the uh, media day. Because uh, we got to pick up battles. You know, we're not... We're not I'm referencing the travel to Rhode Island. That's what it was, wasn't it? Rhode Island? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's, some places are just too much out of, yes, out of the gotta, way. we got to pick up battles. And <laughs> transportation to and from shuttling. Stephen F. Austin comes to HBU is, uh, October 18th. That game, that game will probably get moved to uh And downtown. San Houston State comes to. HBO on November fifteenth. Now that game definitely will will move. To that's downtown. uh that's home. That's the last game of the season. Yeah, that'll be uh senior day and you're correct. That game that game would definitely be moved to downtown just because of the crowd. Sam Houston travels. Stephen F travels. But uh, getting back to your point about Cincinnati, I think what it boiled down to was Cincinnati had the most experienced play, players to return uh, on this season. Starters wise, the starters, and they offered the better opportunity to. Um, how can I say this about just being PC to just kick button and roll through the league? But wildcat, 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 U of wildcat. H, let, me, let me read. Let me read. Let me read from the press release, sir. <laughs> U of H, Cincinnati, went nine and four in 2013, first year under head coach Tommy Tuberville. They have 16 starters returning, including at QB, running back, and wide receiver. Key position. The defense. 
No question. There's three all-conference players, but have veterans across the board returning, including, I love this name, I didn't need to follow football more, including second-team all-conference defensive end, Silverberry Muhan. Well, First hey. name is Silverberry. you got to love that name. Silverberry Muhan. He had nine and a half sacks last season. UCF picked second. They won a big-time bowl, right? They beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl last year, which Commissioner Michael Resco That's probably right. hangs his hat on yeah. for the conference. Right. They're losing Blake Bortle to the draft. There you go. But they're returning nine defensive starters, which probably is the reason why they picked second ahead of UVA at third. They're going to have a problem scoring. The Cougars return 19 starters, Wildcat, Doc, and including, correct me if I'm wrong, QB. Right? Still a question mark. Wide receiver? That. Is not a question mark. That is not a question mark. Deontay Greenberry is a bad man. <laughs> that, that is, he should be the All-American, number one All-American out of that, out of this, uh, at that position this year out of that conference. Cause no what, about it, he's telling. what, what he's capable of doing with the quarterbacks he's had to work with up to this point, he's done a hell of a job. And the Cougars last year, the third war defense they ever see this, the alums. That's what they say. Kill me last season, touting that not. That's, that's that what they say. Pride. For years, they wouldn't do squat and say anything here. about saying they, anything they, from third war. Now they had third war defense. You know, they're and proud of it now. I'm surprised that, that the world that, has come along. You know, Case Keenum <laughs> said during the Monday night football game, Case Keenum, third war, Texas. Remember that during the football game? He said that third war, Texas? Yeah. Yep. I remember uh-huh. that. I, I jumped off my seat. Yep. He, he was, he was recognizing the whole, the whole neighborhood, like, real quick, like, hey, this is where I'm from. I give a had, had people, friends on Twitter. Third war. What the hell is I that? I heard a fifth war. <laughs> what is third war? <laughs> what, where is that? Where so, is that? But, Cougars defense last year, they forced a lot, big, of you got a lot of people that oh, I yeah. got to add that yeah. Oh, yeah. are starting to refer this to oh, yeah. uh, Midtown. So for somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great point. So for the alum to now claim Third Ward, be proud of Third Ward as opposed to Midtown, it was a long way. way. That, that tells you, in a, in a semi-fun way, just how far we've come. And it, 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 I won't argue. But Wildcat, you can... Yeah, have time to watch practice and get when it practice starts, and yeah. et cetera. But the defense last year forced a lot of turnovers. But my concern is what if they're not able to force turnovers? Because part of turnovers is luck. Balls bounces your way. Right. Of course, you got to be in position sometimes. But sometimes, you know, ball bounces your way, things like that. Yeah, not but, only is it a style of play, but a lot of it is. But if you can just flat out stop folks, make them punt. Now, instead of getting them 80 yards, being run down the field, run over, and then get to the end zone, and you happen to hold them to a field goal or give up a, you know, Oftentimes, if you didn't do that, you don't have to really force a lot of So, will they be able to stop people and force them to punt as opposed to bending, bending, bending? And don't break? Because when they got run over by BYU, they broke. Oh, I don't think anybody was, was. The levees broke. Was was prepared for what they saw in that game, especially in, in, when coverage and all just started to break down, and they just got picked apart. That surprised some folks because they, coach talked about that a little bit longer than I thought he would. Talked about that game day, and he talked about that 
that day, coaches launches. I was like, okay, now. <laughs> that, that, you, you letting that linger on, you letting that linger. I can understand that. But, you know, I, I, will it be, I want them to be a defense that stops people in terms of yards per game allowed, not giving up 420 yards, you know, get down to 320, you know, something like, something that I like. Well, as opposed to 420, see, 450, 500, my, my, 550, 600. In a know. college defense, I'm looking at 225 or less. I know that's asking. These offenses? I know that's asking for a lot. That's old school right there, Wildcat. Yes. Yeah, but that's, that's my a whole lot goodness. right there. Kept at 250? You can't slow somebody down at 250. I can understand. You got to be good up front. Get after people with your front four, front three, and I'm gonna, whatever. I'm going to broach that subject and all with the defensive coordinator and and with coach and all this weekend. Only and and I will do the audio this time around instead of the video. I along with it, I'll add it to it uh, because that's been my my the, the thing that's stuck in my craw for a while, only because of what has transpired. You know, you've been able to, through one, two, three coaches, score at will when you needed to and when you wanted to. But when it came t- down to this slowing somebody down, not so much stopping, slowing somebody down, that was issue. And it shouldn't have been. It should have been at some point slow, to some, uh, slow them down and then put a halt to it. That's what I want to see. That's why I'm saying 250. You know, 300 is 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 is, is a lot for me to, to you, accept on a night in and night out basis. Well, okay, this is 2014. I understand. Spread man. offenses. Spread offenses. Yeah, I'm, I you you I you, you ask you, you ask some other colleagues yeah. their thoughts on on that. I think the game has changed. And yeah, level. I just hey, that's especially when you get outside wow. of the big five. Yeah. And the only with them is because they recruit the depth that allows you to be in position to do that. I think outside of that, uh, with the way the new style of offense is, I think it's unrealistic to ask the defense to be able to do that. Oh, this, this is, I guess this is breaking, not just breaking, but isn't today, it's news today. Former Texas A&M defensive end Gavin Stansberry plans to transfer to U of H and will be eligible to play immediately. A person with, with knowledge of Stanberry's plan said, this is according to our buddy Joseph Duarte, Stansberry was dismissed from Texas A&M on July 21st by Coach Sumlin for, quote, personal issues, end quote. In April, Stansberry was arrested and charged in Harris County with misdemeanor assault after one of Hootie Hoo's Rice University students accused Stansberry of pouring beer on the student's head and punching him in the face. Stansberry attorney had said that the charge is a case of mistaken identity. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. Cougars are bringing back, bringing in someone with someone who, who's not a milk drinker, as some of our people like Casey Waits <laughs> refer to. Uh, Stansberry, six foot four, <laughs> two hundred fifty-seven pounds. I ain't heard that phrase he in a while. He played in 10 games for, for the Aggies last year, 47 tackles and three sacks. So, uh, in the American, I think he, he should be able to do quite well. What do you, what do you, what say you? Uh, well, go ahead. Since you have the issue with violence 
all over the place right now. I, I'm going to refrain from dealing with that issue. Because I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I assume more they uh, obtain more facts than we have. It does, that does kind of surprise me. Personally, it's kind of surprising me that the Cougars would, yeah. would uh, accept him, welcome him with open arms, apparently, you know, so quickly. So, you know, I, I'm, I, these days, I think uh, just as fast as somebody's let go of a program, program yeah. meaning they've had some chances and they run them up, I think you also have other programs that do their due diligence in terms of how they feel, it, whether this was an isolated incident, and is, do they have the ability to provide an environment that allows somebody to recover and change uh, the framework. And I'm I'll always support individuals that should get second and to some degree even third chances. So from that framework, I don't have a problem with it. But in all seriousness, I think you have some serious issues out there in terms of uh, the world in regards to violence. And so we put a lot of issues because obviously we're focused on sports. And so that's what we see as individuals that are fans, supporters of the game. Yeah, it intrigues us more. It's more at our fingertips because that's kind of what we have with us all the time. Excuse me. But with that being said, I think we just live in a world of violence. We see it in terms of our music. We see it, and I'm talking about all types, so I want to put it in just one category. We see it in our music. Uh, we see it in terms of general television. Uh, we see it in terms of our sports. We classify it in, in a lot of ways. And so I think this is just a component of life. And because it's in sports and it has the spotlight, we tend to look at it appropriately. That it is unbecoming of individuals, particular college athletes in regards to, and to some cases, professional athletes are how we want to manage. Real quick, we've got to get into some HBCU discussion quickly. And I, with that, the Cougars. You go to quickly, I said, keep your hands to yourself. Thank you. The Cougars are. This announcement is expected to happen soon from uh, Lone Star Sports Entertainment that the Cougars will kick off the 2016 season. Oh, I like that. I like that. Versus the Sooners, Oklahoma Sooners in 2016 at NRG Stadium. Oh, yeah. Great matchup for U of H as they continue to try to put themselves in a position to be a part of that big five if opportunities become available. Even outside of that, I think it's just a good market for the program. You got the new stadium this year. You have a big-time program going over to the line in the right way. The question now is do they have the right coach to lead them? We shall see. Another question is how many U of H – Alums and fans will fill the stadium. Now that's a big question. Will it be 80% Sooners, 20% Cougs? That's going to be 70 30, 60 40, 50 50. And folks, we all know they got a big alumni here. Can't be. It has to be at least 60 40. We've got a big alumni. If you're going to take that next step. Exactly. Uh, And that's the only reason I say that because the people are here, you have to find a way. Uh, when you're playing in these type of environments right here in your backyard, you have to find a way to show up and show out. If you're serious Thank you. about your program uh, being on the big stage, when you get these opportunities, and being accepted, you got you got to be prepared. You, you be prepared. alums, as many of alums have said, we want to be big time. We, 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 all these grand ideas and gestures. Well, 2016. 
that's a, per, a prime example to put up or shut up. I'll be at the game. God willing, I'll be at the game. Yeah, and I don't usually go to those preseason open games. I'm all in the mix with the ACC preparing for a Labor Day weekend. But this particular game uh, has some interest to me. So I'm seriously considering in terms of being at the game and supporting it because of that. But this is kind of a perfect segue for the ACC report. I'll jump out there from next year with Grambling at this point probably won't be in the um, State Fair Classic next year uh, because of a scheduling issue and slightly a change from the State Fair Classic. And the team coming in is going to be Langston. There is a historical component to that. Is Langston, as you know, being from the greater Texas area, actually played in the first uh, State Fair Classic that was called the Negro Day at the fair uh, at that yeah. time. Yeah. And they played Bishop before, unfortunately, Bishop has since closed. Uh, Sky they, Blue. Yep. And so they played in a big-time game. So they get a chance to come back. Along with that, the reason I say that, uh, Langston has is the only state HBCU that has a football program that plays outside of NCAA. They play in the NAIA, the only public-supported HBCU program uh, that plays outside of NCAA. The rest of them are NCAA Division II or NCAA Division I at the FCS level. There are some other public NAIA programs, but they only play basketball. The first one that kind of jumps out there is Suno Southern University of New Orleans. Not Suno in terms of uh, Southern University of Baton Rouge for those that want to make the distinction. But the reason I bring that up is the same issue is there. A lot of Langston people have always begrudged the fact that they hadn't played a better schedule. They hadn't a chance to play um, in big-time classics. Uh, And a lot of it has to do, obviously, with their affiliation. But this is a chance for them to show up if they want to show that they have the ability to bring in the numbers. So it'll be interesting to see, not this year, but next year. So same type of framework. You and, see it playing out. And for folks who don't levels. know, tell folks where the State Farm Classic takes place. Yeah. Um, the State Farm Classic, uh, which is State Fair Classic, is in Dallas, Texas. Sorry. Uh, which uh, obviously is a huge Oklahoma, Texas uh, state for uh, You all see it, obviously, with the OU Texas. But it's also big for Langston, which is in Oklahoma. Correct. They have a huge group of students that come out of the Dallas Metroplex area, DFW, greater uh, regional area. So they have a lot of alums that come back to Texas and work significant amount, if you would, out of Oklahoma, uh, out of uh, Houston. So they have a chance to put up the numbers. And what makes this is interesting. A lot of people may not want to really begrudge this. Is the fact right now Prairie View is really Supporting that classic, they selling tickets three to one. So for every four tickets that are sold to the classic, three of them are sold to Prairie View supporters, versus only one to Grambling, uh, which is interesting and surprising. Yeah, in a lot of ways, for some people, it definitely is uh, that it has changed the momentum over a short period of time that strong. So if Langston can show a representation, it can go a long way. From some of the things they want to do, which is why they hired Cheryl Miller, which we talked about, for the women's basketball coach. Uh, obviously, uh, the move with the athletic director in USC, uh, former Mike uh, Garrett, Mike Garrett, big time running back at USC. That was also the AD uh, during the heydays with USC kind of getting back 
to the height before it fell under the NCAA policy. So with the new president, who is an alum of Southern University, which is a SWAC member, there has been some talk about their interests of making big moves, how big that is. Is it seriously about moving to the SWAC, or is it just moving Division Two, or just staying where they are and trying to grow a bigger profile? You would think you would have to move to some degree to even make that profile bigger than it is, but that's a fascination. But on to another HBCU report. We shared SWAC's Media Day. Last Friday was MEAC, which is the other Division One FCS program uh, at that level. So Offensive Player of the Year is a quarterback, uh, Greg McGee from Howard. Howard's coach, Flea, is coming back off of a one-year hiatus. Overall, he was picked top four, and I'll kind of give you that list before we move forward. Defensive Player of the Year is Lyndon Trail, uh, linebacker from Norfolk State. So it'll be interesting to see. Another issue. Uh, in terms of APR, uh, it's interesting I talk about the APR for a quick absence there. Oklahoma State has been able to have the NCAA rescind their APR penalty that comes off the of back of one we looked at with UNLV. So really the only programs that are continue to have some issue with APR, unfortunately, in my mind, uh, are HBCUs. And I think a lot of that has to do with the deprivation of financial allocations that uh, they well deserve, not only should get. But with that being said, the reason I bring that up is Florida A&M, a rich, proud program, the Rattlers, and Savannah State Tigers, a new program that has moved up uh, and joined the MEAC recently, are not eligible for postseason competition. Therefore, is not listed on the above prediction order of finish. So I'll start at number nine with those teams being outside of the window. At number nine, you have Morgan State Bears, new coach uh, in the mix there. So it'll be interesting to see as he can uh, move the Bears forward, not just this season, but obviously moving forward. Number eight, interesting that you see something that uh, is going on here. Number eight is also North Carolina Central, another new coach into the mix. As uh, you're going on there with Frazier being out early last year uh, with that situation, um, their Eagles are trying to see if they can get it done. Coach there. Number seven, Hampton. Hampton also. As a new coach, coach came over from Winston Salem State. Y'all remember Winston Salem State as I as oh, yeah. talked about what they're doing just oh, yeah. two years ago. They win the finals, a championship game of the NCAA Division Two. So it'll be interesting to see. The year before that, they were in the semifinal. So um, it'll be interesting to see, and he thinks that he can get that done for Hampton in regards to that. So at number six, Norfolk State Spartans. Uh, they pull up the mix there. A little disappointed where they. Or, but look, look at top five, Delaware State Hornets continue to move the radar. At number four, told you about those Howard Bison. They were just down in Texas Southern Houston last year at BBV at a stadium and got out of here with a win. So the interesting to see if they can make a step. Number three, this is a team that I want you to keep your eyes on this season. Big matchup, North Carolina A&T Aggies with Broadway. Uh, his program is coming back off that APR. Uh, so they get full practice time. Strong on the offensive side. He likes to round and pound. He has two big-time running backs coming back. So watch to see what he does. Big-time lineman playing some good basketball. Always has a solid uh, defense. So I think they may surprise some people and uh, be graded out above that top three ranking they have right now. Number two, shouldn't surprise anybody, South Carolina State Bulldogs. Last couple of years, they've been all in the mix. And definitely number one is Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. I think the question you have with them, what are they going to do at the uh, quarterback position? Uh, but uh, Coach Jenkins over there 
really thinks that he can continue to get it done. He's not only talking about winning the conference, but he's looking into the playoffs to see if the MEAC can stop uh, their losing ways in the playoffs. Last time they had a victory uh, was in 1999 uh, when they had actually two victories or three victories overall because they had them in the playoffs. And you had FAMU winning two games and North Carolina A&T winning their first-round game over Tennessee State. So see if they can get past that lopsided wave. But those are some people that you want to look at when you're talking about what's going on in the MEAC. Last thing I'll add, uh, some big games. Uh, Classic-wise, I think you want to keep your eyes on. And I might have some news to talk about what's going on here with these games, but I'll put them out there just to put them in the mix. These are some of the games. And I'll be keeping my eyes on which uh, classic game, which is a big deal for HBCU sports. First one, none other than right here in our backyard. One of the reasons I'm bringing it up is Texas Southern and Prairie View. That's uh, 8:31. They moved it to a Sunday this year because of scheduling. I'll be there. Sometimes yes, Sunday yeah. actually for a lot of people think it's a good day. So it'll be interesting to see attendance-wise would that help him. Hope so. Uh, in terms of the following week, September 6th. Big one to keep your eye on Tennessee State. And uh, Alabama State, Tennessee State won my number one ranking last year. I'm picking them to do it again. So this is one I want to keep okay. an eye on. It's going to give you a gauge of where Alabama State, the Hornets are, and obviously just how good Tennessee State, as they go on the road to the Hornets Stadium, probably one of the best, if not the best stadiums, uh, not just HBCU, but at the FCS level. 30,000 seat stadium, brand new, all started as an art, everything you would like, big time game, big time program. Be interesting to see if they can make it live up to what it should be. Um, getting back to the classics, one of my favorite ones out there, uh, 913, Jackson State versus Tennessee State Tigers again, Southern Heritage Classic. Again, I told you, new coach for Jackson State. I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see what Jackson State is going to do. One that I will keep you eye on that I'll skip back to is that first weekend. Is that FAMU at Jackson State should give you one direction if those two programs are going to amount to anything this year. Moving on, 927, we just talked about this classic uh, in terms of what happens in 2016, but in 2014, Prairie versus Grambling in Dallas, Texas. Uh, that's the State Fair Classic. I'll move back one. I didn't tell you that Jackson State is in Memphis. And the following Saturday, Howard versus Morgan State. That is the New York Urban League Classic. That is in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So you get the framework that's why I'm celebrating these classes. Next year, I might get on the road to follow up. Stop. Why? Because I want to talk about, we we this, mentioned this, referenced this in emails earlier this week. We haven't touched on it. I want to talk about Commissioner Greg Moore's co comments about HBCUs and the NCAA. Not well. You say what you want. Voicing it, uh, <clears throat> including them in the process. Including them in the process. Let's get into this quote. Commissioner Moore is the SIAC, which stands for what, Doc? SIAC Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Thank you. Quote, Commissioner Moore. I believe the gap between the have and have nots is growing to the point where it's becoming alarming. We have the average payout at a Power 5 conference school exceeds the top line revenue of all the HBCU conferences combined. That's a problem. That should be discussed. No one is talking about it, end quote. I totally agree uh, with his framework. Um, and I think this is coming from 
and I'll jump in with your question. Is why weren't mm-hmm. they on this earlier? Right. I've been saying this through podcasts. Not only should HBCUs be alarmed what the Big Five are doing, but I thought some of the uh, next five, as well as mm-hmm. the rest of the FCS, that are all voting on this issue, I thought they should be alarmed and saying more about it. So the impetus, in my opinion, which is your question, why is he just now jumping on this, is because he recently was invited to the NCAA roundtable. And I think at the NCAA roundtable is when he got a lot more of the facts and figures that he's referring to, which became more alarming. Unfortunately, I would have liked to have them done more homework up front because I think these are figures you can get and do yourself. Um, but with that, I think at that conference is when he realized that the HBCUs were not in the mix in terms of this discussion. The other okay. thing that I think is even more, before I let you jump in here, okay. is even more interesting is the fact that this is a commissioner at the Division Two level. You still haven't heard anything from the Division One FCS commissioners, really, on this issue. Wildcat? I go back to my earlier statement. If you've got an issue with things that are going, are going on in your organization, and you get invited, because they really didn't have to, you got invited to the table, and you kept your mouth shut, Whose fault is that? Because it's definitely not mine. If I get invited to the table, and KG has been the witness to it, if something doesn't go like I think it should, or something is made out of con- said out of context that I don't agree with, I'm gonna voice my opinion, and I'm not just gonna put my and, hand and up. He has. I will stand up and <laughs> and roar hard and let folks know I don't like what you just said. Right. And I need you for having And I'm going to tell position. you, it got ugly, but we were all good. Now, that was because what was said needed to be said. You had an issue. At least, I will, I take that back. Maybe you didn't have a vision. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You just got, were happy to be excited and excited just to get invited. I don't even think they were aware of how much of this going on, which to me is a large indictment, which is what I'm trying to bring to the table. And I think that's that's sadder than anything. What's interesting to me, because I can't say exactly what they knew or what, in this case, what... What did they know and when? Yeah, exactly, is my point. They went, and for him, he didn't have to travel anywhere because they're based out of Atlanta. Right. The NCAA had a round table set for Monday, July 14th in Atlanta. He was present with all the other three athletic directors of the major four ACC conferences which is the CIAA, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, and the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And so with this, one quote I will read, and I think this will tell you a lot in terms of the framework that we're doing this. Two quotes. Quote, I appreciate the NCA for hosting and facilitating such a critical, important dialogue, end quote. This is said by SIAC Commissioner Greg Moore, the SEAC, end quote. An open quote for this one, this discussion will provide HBC stakeholders an opportunity to both articulate and underscore our unique and critical important mission and purpose within the larger framework of contemporary intercollegiate athletics, end quote. And with that, I agree with him. I just think of not just HBCU. I want to make sure that's clear. You know, that's who I care about, so that's who I'm going to focus on. But I don't think any of 
the five outside of the Big Five have been very vocal. It actually took, if you remember, we talked about June Jones yeah. as a coach yep. before you even got some commissioners to some degree to speak out. Thank you. On lead, the me next into, five. lead me into this. I didn't know about this. Correct me if you got this press release from the American. This is from June 18th. Uh, Commissioner uh, Michael Resco of the American Athletic Conference uh, Doctor wrote a letter or the American, to say the American in general, wrote a letter to Dr. Nathan Hatch and the Division One NCAA Division One Board Steering Committee on Governance. They had an annual meeting, as the American had its annual meeting, May 30th. Wrap this up in about four minutes. The American had its annual meeting, during which our membership had extensive discussions on the about the proposed governance model, which includes autonomy for the Big Five. This is to Dr. Hatch. As you will recall, we addressed the steering committee's question about board composition in a letter to you dated May 15th. And this letter responds to the steering committee's request for comments to the additional topics. One of them, the majority vote required for autonomous legislation. We believe the determination of the threshold required for a passage of autonomous legislation by the five equity conferences, as we all call them, the Power Five, should be made by the steering committee in conjunction with those five conferences. As we stated in our previous letter, we do not do not feel it is accurate or positive to portray the conference landscape as five equity conferences and the other 27. Comprising half of FBS football, we feel strongly that the distinction should be 10 FBS conferences and 22 FCS Slash Division One conferences, we remain concerned about any portrayal that creates a perception of a separate subdivision that would harm our branding and status as an FBS conference. You know what I think about that? This is what you you're going to correct me again. They have no brand to stand on for whatever reason. They're not pushing it. They're not pushing the envelope because if you're going to scream and holler after the fact, it's going to pass you by. You well, did, from you that point where I agree with you, you said they brand is stand on. So you're saying they have a brand. You're just saying the brand is not strong. I can't disagree with that. My and point is, is that they did not attack this issue earlier. And they weren't like out they didn't front. Know. As these big guys started talking, I told everybody that would listen to me at this very table in regards to previous podcasts. Why are they not being more strategic in terms of setting the landscape of what they wanted out there? And I think a lot of it. Was they were too intimidated in regards to what I'm referring to as the Big Five or what did they wanted to get done. And at the end of the day, we close up, at least for my part, I don't care what the rest of the 22 and the other 10 or 40 or whatever other outside of the Big Five, however you want to discuss that. Right. Okay. I still put a lot of this on the feet of those original five and at the doorstep of the NCA, and just because the others have not spoke out more, does that mean that the NCA is justified based on the presidential leadership and what they've done in terms of railroading and creating uh, this intercollegiate model in such a way that it just usurps the power of the rest for a select few? And anywhere else, we would not allow this to stand in America. 
Who are you, sir? As you, I'm as Dr. Close it up. Kavir, professor, a sport manager at Texas Southern University. I am the college sports reporter. I am Jerry Lee Woodley Jr. You can find me online at blogs, uh, Blogspot, Blogger, uh, uh, Twitter, TweetDeck, Facebook, and YouTube. Your Twitter is? My Twitter is JLWoodley1. Doc? Yes, you can get me on social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A. C-A-V-I-L. Again, it's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can email me directly at kcaville at th-agency.com. kcaville at th-agency.com. And I am KG Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review website, www.houstonroundballreview.com. Also, www.the-v, depending on what part of the country you are. HRR.com. Twitter is the same thing, T H E H R Review. Once again, T H E H R Review on Twitter. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram as well as YouTube. We have our KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast Facebook page. Listeners, don't be shy. Ask us questions. Interact with us during, during our podcast. Interact with us on the Facebook page throughout the week as it lead to future podcasts. Ask questions. Post topics you want us to discuss. I knew nothing about this letter from the American until a few days ago. It was dated May. It was dated June 13th. And I think it came out when posted on the internet last week. So shame on them for waiting too long, waiting so long to make it known that some of their feelings regarding the autonomy of the Power Five conferences. I'm going to wrap it up. Gentlemen, once again, thank you as always for your insight, your knowledge, and your participation. This was fun. I enjoyed this. I love doing these podcasts. Wrap it up as always. Oh, of course. Podcasts are available on, on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Football season, college football season is around the corner. NFL is around the corner. We will talk Texans and other things as we get closer and closer to, to that season. Sponsors, I know you're out there. You're just waiting to, to come on board and be part of these podcasts. Don't be shy. You can reach any of us about information regarding those. We'll have more information for you as well to present to you regarding sponsoring the KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast. Wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more. <laughs>